Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is the Steelers Preview Show on WDVE Pittsburgh, presented by Unibet. The only thing better than a Steelers win is a Steelers win that pays. Double down on your team with Unibet, proud partner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Here are your hosts, Mike Brzezuda, Matt Williamson, and Merrill Hodge. Good evening and welcome to another Thursday night edition of Steelers Preview. I'm Mike Brzezuda along with Matt Williamson. We'll be with you tonight until 8 o'clock right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Merrill Hodge will be along for our second segment, as he always is, and a lot of emotions to unwrap as we uh, head toward Christmas and the Saturday night hosting of the Raiders at Acrisure Stadium. Matt, uh, the Steelers for a long time now have been uh, planning to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, the exact date of which is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But uh, Steeler Nation stunned and saddened this week when we learned uh, of the news uh, of the passing of Franco Harris at the age of 72. Uh, it would be inappropriate to open the show uh, tonight with anything else but uh, our remembrances uh, of Franco and thoughts about a guy who, uh, for my money, not the greatest Steelers player of all time, but the most impactful Hmm, in ter- in terms yeah. of how he transformed the team. You know, uh, the quote from Joe Green and, and Dan Rooney had expressed a similar sentiment over the years. Joe Green, and I'm paraphrasing, said often of Franco, including alumni weekend this year before the Jets game, before he got here, we didn't win anything. After he left, we didn't win anything for a long time. But when he was here, we <laughs> won an awful lot. Yeah, it's funny. It's a total coincidence, but just happened to be on Sharky's deck this uh, this summer, having a cold one or two, chatting about who's the second greatest Steeler behind Joe Boy, who, who could picture yeah. <laughs> you there at that time of the year? Huh? <laughs> right. It's amazing. And I'm a big Mel Blunt for number two guy, but a lot of the old school Steeler people that have been around the organization longer than me were really, really in the Franco corner for that. And, and that was before, you know, you know, we talked about this kind of stuff. And, and I got to say, I mean, being born 1973, I mean, it was ingrained in me that the Raiders were the most hated team. It wasn't the Browns. It wasn't the Bengals, well, the you Oilers. Were, you were it, raised properly. properly. Exactly, yeah. 100%. And, <laughs> I mean, to, to that level and what Franco meant to me, this isn't an exaggeration to get people to you know excited, but when, when I'd be at the airport, it took me, I want to say about 15 years ago, I was probably 35, till I realized who the statue is on the right. It's George Washington. Yeah. <laughs> he did some stuff too. He has a good resume as well. I mean, he back to back, Merrill might say. Yeah, I mean, he didn't catch the Immaculate Reception, but he did some things. I mean, I was well into adulthood before I knew who that was. Yeah, and uh, it, it's uh, amazing uh, 
Franco, I think his presence always transcended his performance, and his performance was profound. But he right. had he had such a, a a humble style about him and a a grace that uh, a presence, like you said. Yeah, I mean, for and, all these years, and it, he's that, always around at camp or you know different events, and you know it's awesome. And I was really reminded of that that we had an opportunity to do a couple of group media interviews with him this season. The first bet, was right, when yeah. the Steelers announced that they were going to retire his mm-hmm. number 32 jersey, which is going to take place at halftime of the Raiders game Saturday night. And then we spoke to him again when they did a media opening for the Hall of Honor Museum at Acrisure Stadium. And, of course, he talked about the 70s extensively and was asked about the 70s. And he said the kind of the same stuff both times, but it it just resonated so well with me. He sounded like like he was one of the main architects of the 70s. And he always sounded like a guy who was just thrilled that he got to be a part of that. Hmm. You know, and he talked about how nobody saw it coming and how special it was. It was never what I did. It was what we did and what we did, not for ourselves, but for the town and the region and Mm -hmm. Steelers fans everywhere. And then when he talked about all the great people that he had been so fortunate to be associated with, he always mentioned the two uh, equipment managers, Tony Parisi and Rogers Freivogel. He always mentioned the trainer, Ralph Berlin. And he always mentioned the PR guy, Joe Gordon. Like these are these people are not rock stars of the Steelers of the 70s. So if I ask you who Jack Lambert was, you know. If I ask you who Rogers Freivogel was, (laughs) you're probably gonna say who? Right, right, right. He valued these people because they were there with him. And he nobody was too small to be appreciated. And no task, uh, you know, no appearance. Mm -hmm. Anything that he could do for somebody, he did it with enthusiasm. And and with love and uh, for a guy that was as talented as he was and a Hall of Famer and did all the things that he did so so special. Yeah, and I've heard so many of these stories the last few days and you know, all the different people he's touched and uh, maybe he isn't the greatest running back that ever lived, but he isn't too far off. But he sure seems like he was maybe one of the ten most in- influential players in the history of the league. Yeah, you know, uh, it's interesting. Off, you know, right? uh, I heard Sal Palantonio on ESPN. Uh, put him on the NFL's Mount Rushmore in the really? wake of Franco's passing. Now, I just heard the clip real quickly, uh, but Sal Pell mentioned what Namath did for the NFL in the 60s okay. and then what Franco did in the 70s. And that's wow. what he was talking about, how it became a television league in the 70s. Okay, you know, right, right, it right. It, it, it was, the NFL still in the 70s was not what we all think it's been forever. No, right, there's one game What on it is now, right. yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It just it did not have the mass appeal that it has now and guys such as Franco you know put it on put the league on their shoulders and yeah. took it where it is today so and, and well uh, after his playing career yeah, yeah. a sad uh, sad uh, inclusion this week um, Franco Harris dead at the age of 72 but uh, the Steelers will be playing the Raiders and uh, they're both clinging to postseason hopes at six and eight. Yeah, clinging is uh, a good word. Not mathematically eliminated yet. Uh, what to Expect is brought to you by Brian Patton and Associates. It's all about the benefits. And I guess uh, what to expect, Matt? Uh, I don't know because I was pretty sure they were going to go down to Carolina and give up about 240 rushing yards yeah. and uh, walk out of there with an L. And instead, uh, what a defensive performance. What a performance by the offensive line and Najee Harris. And what uh, a – Credible performance by Mitch Trubisky. Nothing Absolutely. spectacular, but no screw-ups. And uh, the Steelers beat the Panthers. So what do you expect this time against the Raiders team? That Frankly, I watch them play, and I wonder how they've lost eight games because 
as you guys in scouting like to say, they got some dudes. They do. Well, I don't think they have a good roster, but they got some dudes. You know, like well, maybe that's why they've lost eight games. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think you got a, a coach that's kind of finding his way. Uh, the organization as a whole, I'm sure they had a come to Jesus meeting this off season and it said, should we trade Carr and scrap this thing and you know try to rebuild for another day, or should we go all in and make a Devontae Adams type move? and try to keep up with the Chiefs and the arms race that's going on in the West. And they pushed all their chips in in Vegas fashion and kind of lost in a way. Pretty good analogy. That just happened to fall out of my mouth. Yeah, it worked out all right. And it didn't quite go that way. But they've given away a lot of leads. Um, When I say they don't have a great roster, if you go look at the the Gruden draft classes – they're brutal. I mean, the first Josh yeah. Jacobs is like the only first round pick that's not still a great uh, record with Mike Mayock. No, Mayock Gruden drafts are bad, 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 bad. But they've got five or six dudes, you know. But they don't have a lot of substance in between. To your point about the the trouble protecting leads, yeah, bad. This team is three and four when it had a lead of thirteen or more points in a game. It's amazing, yeah. And it took that ridiculous, amazing play. I don't know what would have happened in overtime. Sure, but they ended up winning the New England game, which was another game where they blew a big lead. They're four and seven in one score games. Are the Raiders? And by the way, the perspective on that. Losing four times when you have a 13 or more amazing, point right. lead. It's only happened one other time in NFL history. That was the uh, 1998 Colts, Peyton Manning's mm. rookie year. Season's not over yet, too. So, they have a chance yeah. to beat the record. So, I mean, this is historically bad. Yeah, but also, crazy, right. this is also the age of parity like we've never seen. Mm-hmm. And I know we talk about that yearly, but I it's proving out this year. you got to be pretty good to get keep getting 13-point leads on people. Yeah, that's kind of how this team is. I mean, like, they've won... Four out of five, I think it is. But their loss is to Baker Mayfield on a short week who he got there an In hour the last before four the, minutes. Right, yeah. right, right. Things like that. Or, you know, they're very explosive on offense. You know, I always have my stats. Like, the Steelers' average touchdown is the shortest distance in the league. The Raiders is the longest. But they're terrible in the red zone. So, like, most of their, their uh, touchdowns end up coming 20 yards and further. Well, that's hard to do. The Steelers would kill for that ability. But they can't do the easy stuff like when you're near the goal line. Yeah, a bad red <laughs> you know zone. I mean? Right, it's weird. Uh, you like stats. Uh, here's here's a couple that uh, are, oh, are, are at cross purposes. Derek Carr against the Steelers in his career. It's two, amazing. Two and one. <laughs> he averages 335 passing yards a game. His TD to interception radio is eight to one. And his passer rating is 113.9. But. But. I know where you're going with this. I like this one. I was Derek Carr there. in prime time. <laughs> Something's got to give. One and seven. <laughs> completes 58.9%. 177.5 passing yards a game. TD to interception ratio, seven to eight. And the passer rating, 72. So. Mm-hmm. Are we going to get Derek Carr against the Steelers or Derek Carr in prime time against yeah. the Steelers? And the, the, the Steelers stuff is crazy, too, because. Any passer in since 1970 that's thrown 100 passes against the Steelers, he's the most successful of all of them. Tom oh, Brady's too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like it's not someone in the division that had their number. You know, during a downtime or the end of the Nolier, it's Carr. But he does have some of that Kirk Cousins prime time, good not great player. Sorry, he's a Michigan State, right? I didn't mean to throw. I forgot about your your love yeah, affair right, for the great. Right. I didn't yeah. say anything when you questioned Josh uh, McDaniel's ability. Is he a Michigan State or two? Well, he started his coaching career as a graduate assistant under Nick Saban in 1999, oh, which is really where he learned everything. The Belichick <laughs> stuff is overrated. Okay, okay. But, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how that 
plays out. Uh, Steelers preview on DVE is brought to you by Unibet. The only thing better than a Steelers win is a Steelers win that pays. Double down on your team with Unibet. Proud partner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. A lot more to get to tonight, uh, including uh, when we come back, a visit with Merrill Hodge and more memories of Franco Harris. With Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Persuda. We'll be here until 8 o'clock tonight. This is Steelers Preview on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, hey, <laughs> hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have know to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or, like, put a sign in your yard, but... All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. But let's say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Back to the Steelers preview show presented by Unibet on DVE. Welcome back. Mike Pursuta and Matt Williamson with you tonight until 8 o'clock on this pre-Christmas edition of Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. The Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank reminds you to sack hunger, get food, volunteer, or donate at pittsburghfoodbank.org. Time now to welcome the third member of our crew to the show, the uh, star of our full house backfield, Merrill Hodge. Merrill Good to talk to you again. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, uh, and all that stuff. How's it going tonight? Well, it's not too bad. Not too bad. Always good to hear your voices and be a part of the team. Of course, we got uh, the Steelers, Raiders, and all kind of intrigue involved with that. But uh, we have to begin uh, since you're just joining us here with your thoughts and memories of Franco Harris, who passed away this week at the age of 72. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about uh, when I started thinking about Franco and the show this week. Uh, how does a guy who comes to Pittsburgh from Idaho a fair number of years after the 70s learn about the history and the legends and, and the Franco Harris's of the Steeler world? Well, you know, um, it's actually an interesting question because you have to create perspective. You know, I was actually a Steeler fan as a kid. It was my favorite team. I loved the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, so you knew. <laughs> you had a hunch, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so – now, not, not, not all that being said, you know, like, uh, you, you know, this happens in 1972. So uh, in 1972, we got to paint a perspective. Uh, not everybody had televisions. And if you did, you only had three channels. Um, whatever game was played, usually on Monday night, you didn't see another highlight. Let's put it this way. When, so the, people were asking, when did I know about the Immaculate Reception? It probably wasn't until 1973, a year later, based on how technology was back then it wasn't like it wasn't like today if that happens i mean you're gonna see it within seconds it's gonna be all over anything you want a piece of glass in your your fault your back pocket you pick it up and you see it 
that just wasn't part of what it was back in 72. You, you didn't have no highlight, really. You didn't get to see um, highlights for who knows how long. Okay, that being said, I still loved them. I was a Pittsburgh Steelers uh, fan as a kid. Um, so when I get to Pittsburgh and I get drafted by the Steelers, obviously that's almost like surreal. But when I went in, they brought everybody, they flew everybody in. We went into the locker room to get our lockers. Um, I walked in and my locker was all the way to the right at Three River Stadium. I went down, I was sitting in there, and Tony Parisi comes up to me. And he said, hey, uh, who, do you know whose locker this is? And so, first of all, I'm thinking it's a trick question, you know, and I'm like, like, oh, I probably sat in the wrong locker. And I look up, and well, my name was right on the nameplate. So I was <laughs> like, um, I just said, mine? <laughs> He's like, no. This used to be Franco Harris's locker. Oh, my God. I've never heard this story before. <laughs> yeah. He's like, greatest of the greatest. That's where we put you, in Franco Harris's locker. And I never forgot that. You know, Donnie Shell locker next to me for uh, – he played – I played with Donnie Shell, obviously. And, you know, those two are close based on being locker uh, lockering together. But I never forgot that. You know, I was like – I always cherished that. Um, it was my first real connection with Franco without meeting Franco. Um, and then, you know, from there I've done so many things – with Franco, and here's how I ultimately look at him. Um, and right in that era, you know, listen, that city has needed hope in a lot of different times, okay? Well, they were in the 70s, there was a moment, especially when all the steel mills start shutting down, you know, later on. That guy gave is the centerpiece of hope for me in the organization and within that city. And I think he, he will always be remembered like that. The Immaculate Reception started that but he has been woven into that that city and um he'll be forever remembered like that and that is truly rare however you got to have a rare person to represent that and that was franco and merrill you obviously had a relationship with him personally in the locker room store or the locker story is awesome but did, how much did you watch him as a running back i mean did you how, did, did understand his craft and how good a football player he was oh well, that's another great question i i, I probably didn't understand the craft um when I was a fan, mm-hmm. it really wasn't until I got there as a player. Now, Dick Hulk, running back coach, one of the greatest coaches in the history of the National Football League, bar none, um, could have been head coach, should have been head coach. He just chose not to because he wanted to stay in one place for his family. That being said, he would talk to us a lot because when I first got there, we were running the trapping system. So I remember one announcer, actually, we went to the 89 playoffs. Um, oh, I forget his name, but I loved his voice. He was, I thought he was one of the best play-by-play guys. He's like, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they trap everybody. They trap anybody. They even trap the usher when they come into a stadium. And I was like, it, it, which was true. Like, so the trapping game is a complex system. And not every bat could run that. I bet you a lot of people were cut. Well, I know people were cut in, in my era. They just couldn't understand it. You know, um, the traffic system, there's a real timing to it. Um, there's an understanding of a bunch of options that come from it. And wherever you're going to trap changes all of that. And so he would tell us, like, Rocky, I mean, uh, Franco was a real student of that. So in practice, he was a terrible practice player because he would always create what might happen in the game versus what is happening in practice. Because in practice, it's pretty, you know, guy closes it, a guy spills it, and we – other other polar we follow him and then we do our next thing and frankly that's not how the game is so he would create things he would look was blocked a certain way 
because he was trying to prepare himself for how the game will unfold. And I never, I was like, that was kind of, it was fascinating to listen to. We learned a lot about how Frankel tried to learn the system and how he tried to execute throughout the week. Um, and what helped him, I think, be one of the more um, real, well, I don't know what word is the strongest word for it, but he was, um, he was, he was an intellectual runner. I mean, you had to be in that system. You had to be a real smart guy. You had to think. Obviously, he had tremendous instincts and skills, but he was a, he was a thinker in the process of that that system, and that's really what I think helped him flourish. You know, you were talking about context a moment ago, Merrill, and I was ten years old at the time of the Immaculate Reception. I had just started following the Steelers for a couple of years because my dad was a fan, and back then, uh, you talk about technology. I would be allowed to stay up on Monday night until halftime and watch the highlights because that's the only time you really you'd see yeah, the Steelers once, in, once sure. in a blue moon, right. but not often, not often at all, especially back then. And then you would look in the paper the next day and see how many rushing yards he had. And it was always a big thing to me. Did he get his hundred? Yeah, Is yeah, he yeah. going to get a thousand? <laughs> and then later in his career, I, I wanted so much, you know, then when I got into junior high and high school and started to think like I knew it all, I wanted to see him catch Jim Brown. He never quite got there. Mm. But I think one of the great running backs in NFL history, uh, the ability to run with uh, speed and power and and kind of a, a guy for any situation. Uh, it's funny because at times in his career here, he was uh, criticized for going out of bounds because he wouldn't try to run the guy over and get that extra yard, yard and a half at the end of a play. But when he had to run somebody over, he was – supremely capable of doing that. Yeah, well, that speaks to, I think, the intellect of, of Franco, you know, because actually um, Dick Oak and I would talk about that. Like, he would make judgments, get out of bounds, because he had already understood the thought process. Let's just say it's first and ten, all right? Is it really necessary for me um, to try to take on two guys and get another inch or survive and just get out of bounds? You know, now if it's third and two, well, that's, we're not going out of bounds. You know, we're going to get our first down. So um, from an overall, from that perspective, you know, he was, a, that's why I, he was probably the most intellect. You think of his intellect and how he ran and played the game. It's the cerebral, there we go. That There's probably better where the cerebral way he played the game. Yeah. Intellectual was pretty good not, too. Don't sell yourself yeah, short. Yeah, neither one of those, I think, were ever recognized enough in, in Franco. And they, they were actually not recognized. They were more critics, criticized. You know, um, to, to your point, why they would they would question that, and if you probably understood all the scenarios, he went out of bounds. It was probably relevant that he that he gets blown up by two people for what nothing. You know, I'm going to get this, this is how many yards we're going to get anyway. I might as well save the impact and return back to the huddle. Merrill, that was kind of the golden age of great great running backs. I mean, Franco, OJ. Yeah. I mean, on and on and on. Every team seemed to have a star, and that's faded away in recent years. But I'm really curious. Is is the league maybe coming back to that? You're seeing less talented teams, Atlanta, Chicago, survive just by running the ball over and over. Voluminous running has been my theory. <laughs> I've been using that all, good all word. year. Yeah, yeah. All these big words we're using today. Do, do you yeah, think yeah, running yeah. backs might I mean, be valued more going forward? Well, I, I think I don't think they're ever they've ever lost value. I and mean, here's what I mean by that: mm-hmm. when you get a special guy. You, you draft him. I mean, you draft him where you think you need to draft him, and often that is the is, will be the first round. Okay, if you have 
um, somebody who you really think is, is, is special, you know, and then they come around every now and then, um, the giant running back. I'm yeah, like, got done watching him. I can't Saquon. Okay. When Saquon yeah. was coming out, oh, that, that he's a freak. I mean, you just don't see that, those type of runners, um, all the time. Now I'll give you a team that has purely built their entire success around implementing the running game having a great running game, stand with the running game, and allowing everything to develop from that running game, including the defense, okay? And that's the Lions. If you want to watch the Detroit Lions now, they have probably one of the best offenses in all of football. Eagles don't know that too, aren't they? Two of the best offensive lines Uh, in football too. Well, yeah, they have the best offensive line in football. You know, they um, when I look at – very true. I go back to them. You know, Mike, that's a good point from last year. Like, I, uh, you know, I I started – when I started – study every team like they I, I named them the ravens of the nfc last year i mean they were like mall people you know and this was before you know this when they were in transition and everything and and look where they've evolved to today and how it's helped the quarterback develop if you look at that line so you know look at atlanta atlanta's kind of doing the same thing now that i'm off to a running record not going to the playoffs but they're in every game why are the ravens listen the ravens are in every single game because of that despite the limitations they have with their quarterback. Now that gets exposed and you get into really good teams and you got to, you got to eventually throw the ball traditionally. That's, that's going to be their flaw. And that's the thing that is going to be their demise. You have to other phases of that. That's why Detroit is flourished. They have complimented. Jared Goff is playing better there than he ever played with the Rams, even when they went to the Super Bowl. And so to answer your question, it's not so much, I think a, a runner has been ignored. Cause if you see a special one, they get drafted. It's the importance of it. And it goes back to, like, not from the start of our game, the start of the history of the National Football League. You know, you can go back to all the founding fathers, and Chuck Noll taps into that. You know, Mike Dick taps into that. Bill Parcells taps into that. Marty Schottenheimer, um, Bill Polian, Jimmy Johnson. All of these coaches, because I have worked with them and talked to them, every one of them talk about the most important aspect to win consistently. You have to control the tempo. That means you have to control the game. You have to be able to dictate and make decisions that you want to do, not be forced into. And that's why running the football is such a vital component. If you're truly going to be consistently successful, you have to have that element to your game and win a championship. Well, let's uh, let's turn the page to the Raiders, uh, who are going to be at Acrisure Stadium on Saturday night. They've got a running back that they value in yeah. Josh Jacobs, but they've also got a receiver and a tight end, and and this team really impresses me from this aspect, Merrill. Uh, I was watching the Raiders-Patriots game, and the Raiders are down seven with time running out, and they've got a drive to to try and go tie the game. They threw nine straight passes. Not one of them was targeted for Devontae Adams. And uh, Derek Derek Carr just spread it around. And, hey, the Patriots were doubling Adams. It was clear. And he just didn't go there. He went to Mac Hollis repeatedly, and they end up getting it in the end zone. Yeah, it was a controversial touchdown, but uh, their ability to take what's given really told me, at least, they're confident in a lot of guys. Yeah, well, they're much different. I'll tell you this. Well, what's interesting, at the first of the year, they were not like that. I'm going to tell you this. The only guy you thought was on that team was Devontae Adams. Absolutely. They tried to throw the ball to him. I'm telling you, they tried to throw the ball to him 50 times. It ain't a joke which is a great example. You cannot build, nor would I ever build, even think about. In fact, I'd fire anybody who even suggested it. <laughs> you don't build around a wide receiver. 
You just don't. You can't. You got 70, on average, 70 plays in a game. Okay, let's say your guy gets 10. Okay, that's big for a wide receiver, okay? Unless he scores on five to 50% of those 10 balls I throw him, I got 60 other snaps I got to deal with. We're clearly not going to throw it to him 60, although they tried to do that. And that's actually why they struggled initially. What reset them? So they go back, you already talked about, you know, their runner. They have, I mean, he is, he is. They, once they started running him and committing to him, they started to evolve as an offense. And it doesn't surprise me, um, you know, what you say about, you know, Belichick. You know, watch that tape, too. He's going to take away their main guy, you know. Um, and they tried to do as good of a job as they could with their defending their run, but they know he's such a priority. They were not going to let that guy beat them. Now, you look at this matchup with the Steelers, you know, the Steelers have completely destroyed the running game for the Carolina Panthers. And I think that kind of got overlooked because the offense did such a good job running the ball. Well, I never saw but that man, coming. Man, I, I, oh, I didn't either. We were here last week talking yeah. about how we thought it was a bad matchup. Yeah, yeah and, you know, right out of the bat, you know, they – and they, see, I think the Steelers do – they've done this over the last few years probably more than I think any team that I – and I, I watch all the defense. I watch the entire league. So um, I'm comparing them to the league, not just to the division. But I don't know anybody that – now, this can be a good thing and a bad thing. Sometimes when you have to scheme things, it just means you're not good enough to line up and win. I mean, some people could argue that. They say, well, you're just not good enough to line up and win. But they take – their first their first front or their first look was, uh, was like a, a 4-3 over, okay, with T.J. Watt in the middle as a middle linebacker. Um, Devin Bush is an outside linebacker. So they had this different – type of look now what they did within their scheme and they didn't just stay with that look all the time they created different looks but like the thing off of those looks they did a great job of is that they lined up in gaps and they attacked a gap at the snap of the ball so like when they were trying to run doubles you know two guys work a double we move the defensive tackle we move it up to the linebacker well the Steelers said you're not going to let you do that we're going to come up here and make you make a decision at the line of scrimmage and see if you can block both guys at the line of scrimmage which actually landed in the gaps, made it harder on them. And that's why they had so much penetration. That's why they destroyed that running game conceptually. They just did a lot of that um, throughout the course of the game that just completely dismantled that, uh, that Panther offensive line. That was that the week before in Seattle was moving them seven and eight yards um, down the field and just gashing them towards the end of the game. So, you know, the defense, I thought, had schematically had one of their most – their best performances because they executed it too. You need to scheme those things, and then you can grab guys come out and completely lay an egg, and they did not do that. So it was it was impressive. So speaking of scheme, Merrill, going back to his days, all you know, great days in in New England. Where are you on Josh McDaniels as a offensive play designer, play caller, all those things? Well, he's Tom. He's got Tom Brady. He's really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. I'm just saying, really good. Um, you know, I just I saw him go to Denver. You know, and mm-hmm. you know, Josh is. I, I just don't know that he's a leader of men. That is, he might be a coordinator. Concern. Huh? Yeah, I just you know, when you know, his biggest mistake is when he went to Denver and he was going to show how smart he was by drafting Tim Tebow. Okay, that was the end of his career as a head coach, right there. I mean, in that with the Denver Broncos, which I don't think he lasted a year. I mean, it was just a year. I didn't think they fired him during the season, if I remember remember right. You know, yeah, I think he told them he, he wanted to build the offense around a receiver, so they fired him. Too. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm gonna do you. That's the first I'll thing do I'll do. Is I, I, it's the most ridiculous thing ever. I, now that's not saying they're not important. They're very, they're very component, component, important component, but don't build it around them. 
you just can't build it around him. Um, but when he did that, you know, and then when you know he, he was kind of showing signs of that with the Raiders, when I was like, their first game, I'm that, but I'm telling you, they moved him everywhere. They had him everywhere on that football field, and they were all they tried to throw the ball to him. I bet you 15 times minimum that first game. And I was like, what are they doing? I mean, why would you do that? You know, and then obviously, okay, listen, you learn. Oh, you oftentimes need to as, to evolve as a head coach. You need to learn, make mistakes, you, you correct them. And they they corrected it fairly quickly, but it took them about three weeks before they really tried to rectify and go back to 28 and start running the football and, and being successful there. Since they've done that, they have been a better team. Um, I, do, I do think they're vulnerable to run the ball on, though. I really do. They, uh, they're not – their tackles are not – I mean, man eaters, man. They just, I think you can move them. You know, Patriots ran on, I've seen a lot of teams run the ball on them. The Patriots ran the ball on them very successfully. You know, and I'm just saying this because it's, it's another thing in this game that they have to do if they're going to win is if they can do that from an offensive perspective. I mean, that's going to throw a dagger in the Raiders' issues that they already have. Merrill, getting back to defensive scheme, uh, I, I found it interesting to follow what the Steelers have been doing week to week all season. But this is a little different animal. They're coming off of three games where it was run heavy, and yeah, you can move uh, Terrell Edmonds up, and you can play a lot of single high and crowd the box and sell out to the run. You almost have to play the Raiders straight up, don't you? I mean, you might, you know, they have balance. If you you can yeah. maybe double Devonte Adams with your free safety, but. If you load up against yeah. the run, they're going to throw and vice versa, aren't they? Especially with Waller and Renfro now yeah. back. I mean, it used to be Adams and Jacobs, and you know, now at least they have some scary guys that are getting working back in. Yeah, there. which, which, yeah, which is true too. Another reason why would you build yourself around one wide receiver when you just mentioned <laughs> the other two you have? You know, you got a tight end that you know he's obviously he's been hurt. I know, and you know Renfro, he's been hurt too. But that's a pretty good. That's about as elite a group as you're going to get in our league. You know, when you look at all the different ways that they can. So they have every phase of the game that they, passing-wise, that you can possibly attack. 28 is a pretty good player, too, who runs the ball. Mm-hmm. So here's where it comes down to, like, coaching and schematics. You know, I mean, down and distance and critical moments of the game. You know, where what do you choose and how you're going to go about making those calls and what is going to be the design of your defense based on that. You know, first and 10 is the start of everything, you know, and, um, that's why, you know, how that's going to be handled, you know, what do you, and that's why you get all these tendencies. That's why the NFL is so great because this is how schematically challenging it is. You know, and the intellectual part of the game is just every down, there's a different piece of the chess pieces are being moved around and strategically being set up, you know? Um, so I, you know, to answer your question, I, I can't tell you, you can't take them all away to your point. So you have to make those decisions based on your tendencies that you already know, the gut and what's happening in the game, and the situation at that time. That's wow, so this is this is really a coach's game, isn't it? I mean, more. Than, I just think so. More yeah. than usual. From, from that perspective. They have to be ahead of the game and what they call and when. Yeah, and so it'll be a fascinating game just to watch from that perspective because there is a lot of issues that they can present to you, the Raiders. Um, but I think the one, the best ones, if they if they choose not to run the ball on this one. You know, because the Raiders have done that in the past. Even though I said they reestablished that, I mean, they can wander away. You know, they can help you out is what I'm getting at. Yeah. So, you you hope you get a little help in this one. Merrill, really enjoyed it as always. Enjoyed it all year. Uh, have a Merry Christmas. Uh, happy Holidays. And we'll look forward to uh, talking to you next week before we get on to Baltimore and ring in the new year against the Ravens. 
Amazing. Thank you, guys. Merry Christmas to everybody. Go Steelers. Merrill Hodge uh, with us here on the preview. Gear up with the latest sideline apparel, hats, or jerseys of your favorite players. Authentic memorabilia, custom items, and exclusives you can only find directly from the team at one of the official Steelers Pro Shops. Those are located at AquaSure Stadium, Grove City Premium Outlets, or Tanger Outlets. You can also visit us online at shop.steelers.com. Uh, we've still got uh, another segment to go before we get out of here tonight, so keep it here. With Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Pursuta. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show, presented by Unibet on DVE. Welcome back to the preview. Mike and Matt with you until 8 o'clock tonight as we continue uh, getting you ready for the Steelers and the Raiders. Matt, we talked in the first segment about uh, the, uh, I don't know, the quizzical or uh, contradictory nature of the Raiders. They're yeah, good enough right, to right. get leads or bad enough to let them get away. Uh, you want to know how you blow a big lead? Uh, let's take you back to the Raiders-Patriots game because this sequence of events in the second half is stunning to me. Uh Vegas is up 17-3, to gives up a pick six on uh, a sideways flanker screen that mm-hmm. uh, went awry. Uh, so now it is 17-10. to uh, They've got uh, the Raiders back, the Patriots, excuse me, backed up at the New England two, give up a 25-yard run. Uh, so that drive is now jump-started. New England eventually gets another field goal. Ramondre Stevenson ran all over. Yeah. yeah. Now it's 17-13. Uh, you get a penalty on the kickoff return, so you've got first and 10 at the Vegas 9. Three and out includes a Devontae Adams drop and a sack. They punt the ball again. 17-13, to 13, illegal contact penalty on a guy I really like, uh, Merrick, the free safety uh, for, oh, I like for Vegas. Yeah, he's one of, the, um, one of my favorite dudes on the team. Yeah. It would have been fourth and one. Instead, the drive gets extended. Vegas gets another field goal. Up 17-16. to 16. Penalty on a punt return, holding, false start. <laughs> uh, two of the 13 penalties in the game yeah, for Vegas. Three and out, punt the ball back with 5.15 left. And then here was my favorite. They're still leading 17-16. New England has the ball, second and seven from the New England 27. The Raiders line up with all 11 guys within seven yards of the line of scrimmage, zero coverage, but they don't blitz out of it. They rush four and get run past <laughs> and give up a 39-yard completion. The next play, they run it in from 34. I mean, if you could do something silly or bad, they did it in the second half. Yeah, and they did a lot of that early in the season. Um, I'm very much a believer that as many games are won in this league are lost with exactly those type of things. And uh, You know, I'm really coming around to that. And uh, it's fun, in Atlanta – I asked Mike Tomlin what the Steelers did to dig in on that late drive. Mm-hmm. You know, Atlanta had been running on them. Yeah, right, right. And they held them to a field goal tenuous. and didn't give up the lead. And Tomlin said words to the effect of, well, they took penalties. Yeah, They, right, they right, stopped right. themselves. They, Offenses they stopped do themselves. that. Yeah. Well, anything we did, I'm not going to fool myself yep. there. So maybe let the Raiders lose this one, hang around. And They're pretty good at it. Hang around know? and don't screw up at the critical <laughs> time. And everyone you know, everyone talks about that Patriot game. Oh, how, how silly was that You know, call by the Patriots and Chandler Jones running over Mac Jones. But what was lost in everything you just said is the Raiders, you know, allowed this to even get to that point against a team that couldn't throw the ball at all. I mean, that is a broken Patriot passing game, and you still let them back into it. So they're a very up-and-down team. I mean, they got guys like Devontae Adams who, you know, top receivers have tortured the Steelers this year. He could go for 200 and it wouldn't shock me in this game. Or Josh Jacobs could go for 200 and it wouldn't shock me in this game. But they're a hard team to predict. 
I would think from the Steelers' perspective, and based on how well they ran the ball against Carolina and how well New England ran the ball against the Raiders, and uh, by the way, that was 32 carries for 206 yards. Yeah, almost all by Ramondre Stevens. In the second half, 22 for a buck 51 and a touchdown. And that's all they could do. I mean, a dysfunctional yeah. passing game. I would want to play ball possession against these guys. I, will, mm-hmm. I would want to keep that offense off the field, possess it, and yeah. score as they did in, in the Carolina game. That's the... Uh, the formula I see or the path uh, mm-hmm. that I would see from Pittsburgh's side. But before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you about Carb. We mentioned his yeah. stats in the first segment. He plays a really emotional game. And, yeah, and I does. say that with a little derision. Like, to I, me, I know what you're saying. if He's you're not... going to act like Aaron Rodgers every time something goes wrong, you better have the four MVPs and the one Super Bowl. To me, he's just bitchy. Yeah, a little whiny, you know, <laughs> and kind of grew up as – Derek's little brother, and you know, I, I hear you. I, I want Devonte Adams because I played with him in college. Let's go get him. And he is like that on the field, but he doesn't have the resume to back it up. I'm more of the Joe Cool type. I want Montana. I want Burrow. You know, and those type of dudes, not the the guys that wear their emotion on their sleeve. Yeah, and you know, Jones is starting to New England. He was in the same game that I studied. Uh, mm-hmm. Mac Jones is a little like that. Like. This kid, year in particular. Kid, calm down. You've been in the league for 15 minutes. Maybe, yeah, you've maybe your offensive coordinator had a reason he called what he called. Or like that, that just, oh, my God, the sky is falling kind of vibe. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't blaming think, others and right. Maybe this is how things tend to come unglued. Well, that's why you lose the games in the fourth quarter yeah. possibly. Oh, 100%. I, mean, I think there's something to be said for that. So maybe if they can do that as well, uh, they will uh, you know, get Carl a little off his game. Uh, maybe that can uh, help things along uh, Saturday night as well. Steelers preview on DV is brought to you by Unibet. The only thing better than a Steelers win is a Steelers win that pays. Double down on your team with Unibet, proud partner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Matt, we were both wrong last week. Uh, what do you got tonight uh, in terms of uh, potential outcome? I think the Steelers pull it out. Highly emotional game. I, I trust their coaching staff and environment a lot more. You know, I kind of do too. Um, I, I think it is a a tough nut to crack. Mm-hmm. I, I like the Raiders, particularly offensively. Uh, Max Cross, we haven't even talked well, about we him. We mentioned him today. This guy's T.J. Watt. He's uh, a superstar. Yeah, he, he can wreck the game. But I think the Raiders are capable of losing this one, mm-hmm. and I think the Steelers are getting it together enough to allow them to do that. Uh, I think there's a lot of places, their coverage, their offensive line that the Steelers can exploit too. And, if you know, run the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. Kenny Pickett plays the same kind of game Trubisky did. Protect it. I'm, make make I, your field goals when you can. Let them make the big mistake. See, and See how Kenny handles the weather, though. Sneak out of there uh, with a Christmas Eve victory. That's going to do it for us tonight. want to thank uh, IU Jake for uh, keeping us going behind the glass. want to thank everybody for finding us, however and wherever you found us. Uh, Matt, we'll talk to you. Christmas Eve uh, on the pregame show? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have to leave the sisters a little early, go hunker down at home at the bunker, and I'll chat with you then. For Matt Williamson and Merrill Hodge, I'm Mike Pursuta. This has been Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Good night and Merry Christmas, everybody. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 